So uh, this Wednesday evening uh, at 7 p.m., we will have our annual Thanksgiving service, and it's really a very simple. There's no message that evening and just a few songs. Uh, during our time together, people stand up and they offer thanks. That's the whole service. Uh, they may express their gratitude for parents or grandparents or children or friends or, or spouses, all kinds of things. And yet underneath it all is the understanding that every good and perfect gift we have ever had has come to us from God. And in giving thanks to others, we are also giving thanks to God. And it is one of my favorite times together with you. The first Thanksgiving service I ever attended was at what I call my home church, Brandywine Valley Baptist Church in Wilmington, Delaware, where Bo Matthews was the pastor, and he became a good friend of mine. And I went to that service not really knowing what to expect, but I loved my church, and, and I wanted to be involved. And I walked out of there thinking, by God's grace, I won't miss one of these. If at all possible, I would be there. There is just something wonderfully refreshing about giving thanks. You know, I remember at the end of the Iranian hostage crisis, and some of you here weren't even born then, so you didn't get to experience it like others of us here. But Americans were taken hostage when Iran fell to the mullahs, and they were threatened, and we were threatened as they were used by that radical government as pawns. It was a terrible and humiliating episode in the history of our nation, but a real concern was for those hostages. And when I had heard that they'd been, re been released, I immediately gave thanks to God. Our church had been praying for them forever, it seemed like. I mean, they were held hostage for over 440 days. Uh, you could tell the reporter who, uh, who gave that news was happy when he shared it, that news. But, but the sense I got as I listened to him was that he didn't have anyone to thank. He, he didn't know who to thank. My impression was that he wanted to give thanks, but he didn't know why he wanted to or who to give thanks to. And a great wave of sorrow rolled over me as I thought about that. And I remember that feeling to this day. And I am glad that whatever happens in this life, I have someone to thank. I'm glad I have someone who is good and who loves me and who acts for good in my life. Which is really the theme of our text today because God is good and because he loves us and because the things he does for us are good, we ought to give him thanks. Now, this holiday is an annual reminder that we have much to be grateful for. It's almost become the lost holiday, sandwiched as it is the, with Halloween on one side. Do you know that as a nation this year, we spent over $9 billion on Halloween-related items? And then on the other side of Thanksgiving, there's Christmas. We spend so much money on that that many people in our country are still paying the debts off from their last Christmas. And again, I don't understand that. 
And yet there exists between those two things this rather simple idea of giving thanks. And though we do spend some money uh, on this holiday, mostly it's, uh, it's on travel to be with family or, or a few food items to make our meal special. It's really very modest. And somehow I think that's fitting. There is no doubt in my mind that the enemy of our soul would eliminate this holiday if uh, he could. I mean, he comes only to kill and to steal and destroy it. And giving thanks refreshes us, and it reminds us of God's abundant grace. The psalm we're going to look at today, since it's Thanksgiving, we're stepping away from Romans, but it is all about giving thanks. So I want to ask you to join me once again, if you would, In the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, we're going to look at Psalm 107. uh, Or you can follow along on the screen. We'll have the texts up there. So as I said, this psalm is all about giving thanks. And it ends with these words in verse 43. Let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Now, since I think you're wise, I mean, you have, after all, made the commitment to follow Jesus Christ, haven't you? So that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. We're going to ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. Now, our world is absolutely hardened by sin. It's led astray and blinded by sin. And so when God acts in his righteousness and in his time, they see it, but the response isn't, uh, is, isn't the same as ours. It's really much different. See, we rejoice when we see that, but they're left speechless, as verse 42 says. The upright see and rejoice, but the wicked all shut their mouths. <laughs> the wicked see, but they have nothing to say. They're speechless. All, all their boasting and vanity and arrogance melts like wax before the flame, and their mouths are shut. But this psalm tells us God has been at work to draw even them to himself. In a world hardened by sin, thoughtful Christians give thanks to God because they understand something about his work in our world, uh, which he does because, first of all, God is good. Verse 1 of Psalm 107, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We're going to stop right there right for now. This verse is repeated numerous times throughout the Old Testament. But it tells us that we're to give thanks, and the first reason it mentions is because God is good. Do, do you understand what that means? It's not good like you and I are because we're only good sometimes. And we're not as good as we should be or even as we could be. But God is absolutely good. He is not tempted by evil, nor does he even tempt anyone else with evil. He's light, and in him there is no darkness at all. He is completely and utterly holy. But, but we don't even quite get that when we say that because, because he's more than just the absence of what's bad. He's a positive force for good. He's fullness. He's over 
overflowing with goodness. He's water to the thirsty, food for the hungry. He's light for those who are in darkness. And this reminder, I think we need, and we need it often, that God is good. This is the place where our first parents were led astray. Satan got them to begin to doubt God's goodness, and he had them at that minute. They became his prey. Sin entered our world because they doubted that God was good and acted as if he were not. You know, things come our way. An illness, financial loss, the death of a loved one. And we wonder, where is God in all of that? And we find ourselves in the same place where Adam and Eve stood, deliberating in our own hearts while we ask the question, is God really good? That's a, a long story, but uh, my friend and pastor of my home church, uh, Bo, who I, I just mentioned, came under a sustained attack by a contingent of people there. They were unhappy with him, and their complaints multiplied over time, as so often happens. But one thing they said struck a chord with me. They complained that his messages weren't as good as they once were. And I agreed, not, not out loud, but in my heart. I discovered later the reason for it. It wasn't the messages which were the problem, but the spirit in the church at that time which hindered the proclamation of the word. But, but, but I didn't know it at that time. I felt as though I had come to this kind of crossroad in my life. I had to choose which way to go. And as awful as it sounds, I, I had to choose which side to take. I thought about how much I loved good preaching and how important important it is. I mean, it's God's design that through the foolishness of preaching, people's lives are changed. And it bothered me that there seemed to be this lack of power in his preaching. But then I thought about my friendship with Bo. I thought about him as the man that I knew. I knew him as a man who loved God. And not only did he love God, but he loved God's people. And I knew he wasn't living in any kind of sin that he endeavored to walk with God every single day. And I also knew he was my friend. And for that reason alone, I should stand by him. So I made my choice. I chose to side with him. It was the right thing to do. On the Sunday after the last ascending family left that church, the message that day came with power. It was as though the lights were turned on and the windows were open. It was wonderful, and I was thankful. God is good, and if you put your trust in him, you know that, and you need to side with him no matter what comes our way. We don't understand always why some things happen in our lives. I mean, sometimes, even in the heart and sad things come, we, we do see why, but not always. Sometimes we just have to trust that God is good, though we can't see it. But we have known that goodness in the past, so by faith we believe it at times like that, and we stand with him because God is good. 
And, and, and every time that some hardship comes our way, or the sin in us comes at us in main force, or we're lulled into some stupor of apathy, uh, we face the same decision. Once again, we must remember and choose the truth that God is good. And when we remember that, when we really remember that and we make that choice, I think something happens in this because it is a most natural thing at that time to give him thanks even in the hard times. So even in a world that is hardened by sin, the followers of Christ give thanks because we know that God is good and we know that God loves us. So verse 1, again, this time I'm going to read the whole thing. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Again, this is a refrain throughout the Old Testament. But having our faith put in Christ, we know that God loves us. He sent his son to die for us, to take our sin away so we could become his children. And when we remember that, we give thanks, or at least we ought to. You know, the psalm here emphasizes God's love in a kind of a subtle way. It does so by its very structure. See, we're told first to give thanks to God because God is good and his love endures forever, as we just read. But then in verse 21, roughly in the very middle of the psalm, his love is cited again, but this time it's in conjunction with God's work in our lives. And so we read there, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deed for men. So we have this arrangement here. The psalm begins by telling us that we should give thanks because God is good and because his love endures forever. And then in the middle, we're told to give thanks because his love never fails and because of the things that he does in our lives. And finally, the psalm closes by telling us to do what we're trying to do now, ponder his loving deeds. There is an emphasis on God's love. Now, that doesn't surprise us, does it? We, we rely on the fact that God loves us and that his love is unconditional. It endures and it never fails. It's absolutely unconditional. Now, if you have children, <laughs> you know how angry they can make you sometimes, don't you? My parents are from the South, and, uh, and it's not uncommon to hear someone from down there say, at least when I was younger, they said, I don't know if they say it today with all the hoopla there is over child abuse and things like that but and my mom and dad they never had cause to say it about me but but some people would say that kid makes me so angry I could have wrung his neck but they never did whatever our kid does might have done it doesn't change our love for them does it you may not be feeling that love but you know it it guides your actions. I mean, you may punish them, but you do so because you love them and you do it for their good. The really interesting thing about this is your kids know it too. They know that we love them. They know it even when we punish them. They may not admit it, but they know it. Their anger or their pride may make them lash out at you, but they know in their heart that you love them. 
I was about 12 or 13 years old, and I did not like the fact that I had to be in at a certain time. I had a curfew. And I'm remembering arguing with my mother about it. And I thought I had delivered the knockout blow and that I'd won the argument when I said to her, Spanky's mom lets him stay out as long as he wants. And without missing on my beat, my mother shot back, Spanky's mom doesn't love you like I love you. She doesn't love Spanky even like I love you. She had me. She had me. I knew she was right. I didn't tell her that. I didn't tell her that for years. But I knew that my mother loved me. And I was grateful for that. I I still didn't like the curfew, but I was glad that I had a mom that cared. You know, things come into our life which make us not only question God's goodness, but his love. And we need to remember his love endures and it never fails. We, we need to be a bit more mature about it than I was as a teenager. We need to admit and act on that truth. We might be tempted to be angry with God. We may even be angry with him but because of something that has happened to us. But we have to keep going back to this truth. God's love endures. And it never fails, even when we do. And every time that truth comes home to us, doesn't it make you glad? Doesn't it make you thankful that we have such a God? And so we give thanks to God because he's good, always and forever. And his love is his love for us, a love which endures and never fails. He loves us unconditionally. And finally, we ought to give thanks to God because he is at work in our lives. You you do know that, don't you? God is at work in your life and in mine. In fact, he's really at work in everyone's life. In the middle of this psalm here, there are four pericopes or vignettes, the little stories, the little scenes, which tell God's work in four different situations. The first and the last are about people who find themselves in difficult situations through no fault of their own. The first one, the people are without a home and they're wasting away in the desert land. There's no indication at all that they've done anything to deserve that, but that's where they are. And then there are some who have gone to sea and find themselves in the midst of a raging storm which threatens their life. And again, there's no indication that they've done anything wrong, anything deserving of punishment. The two in the middle, however, are about people who are in difficult places, in prison or sick, because of their sin. And every one of those four little scenes can be either real, that is real wanderings, real sickness, real prison, real storms, or they may be metaphorical, representing a real lostness, though we may live in a life's land, or sin sickness, where things we've done in our life make us sick spiritually and at heart, or we're in a prison because we refuse to forgive or give up something that's destroying us. We may be on dry land, but the circumstances of our life swirl around us like a raging sea. You know, God uses every one of those things to turn people to himself. 
in each vignette, we're told, as in verse 6, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Four times, we're told, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and each time, God responds in an appropriate way to their situation. And yes, God did answer their prayers, but the emphasis here is on what God has done to bring them to the point where they do pray so he can answer. There's there's a fifth situation which adds some information. I want to read it to you, and I want to make a comment or two. Verses 33 through 31. He turned the rivers into a desert, flowing springs into a thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs, and there he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded uh, a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. And then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless ways. But he lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flock. Do you see that? God is working in every situation to bring people to himself. Even those people who don't know them or those who have strayed from him and even those who have turned their back on him. If he's brought someone into a place of blessing and they forget about him, he takes that blessing away so they'll turn to him again. They may not do it. They may not turn to him. They may shut their mouths, but God has done his part. So we hear, see here in this psalm that hard times may come to someone to cause them to turn to God for the first time. But we also understand those hard times can come to those who already know God because we're off the path and we need to be brought back. But then it's not always the case, is it? I, I mean, hard times may come our way even though we're walking closely with God. Sometimes we go through hard times for reasons we can only guess at. We, we do know sometimes it's for God's glory. Sometimes we go through them so we can know what that suffering is like so we can help others through their struggles. We know God is making us into the image of his son and, and that often involves hardships. There may be other reasons that we don't know and we can't know in this life. But God is faithful and he is faithful wherever we are in our life. And whatever situation we find ourselves We may not understand it, but he is at work for our good. Now, I've told this story before, but it, it, to me, is such a good illustration. It's worth telling again, even if you've heard it lots of times. (laughs) When our oldest son was just a baby, he had trouble going to sleep by himself. So my wife got a hold of a book, told us how to go about teaching our son to sleep. That first night we put it into practice, you had to take the kid in, put him in the crib, say goodnight, walk out of the room. And for five minutes, there was nothing but screaming and crying. I had to keep my wife physically almost from going back in there. After five minutes, she went in to touch the kid but didn't pick him up 
told him to go back to sleep, walked out again, and for 10 minutes, the crying went on. And then you did it the third time, and you walked out and you stayed out, and that cried, cried himself to sleep. And every time you go in, we're doing this because we love you. Earl, you don't understand, but we've done this so you can learn to sleep on your own. It's for your good that we're doing that. We did that for three nights. The third night, we put him in his crib, and he whimpered a little bit. He laid down, and he went to sleep. And we told him throughout that whole thing what we were doing. But he couldn't understand. He just didn't know. He didn't have the ability to comprehend it. And that's what happens with us and some of the things that are in our life. God could tell us, but there's no place in our hearts and soul to understand what he's saying to us. The day will come when we'll know. The day will come and we'll see some of those hard things that we've gone through. And we'll understand that they were for our good. And we'll know they couldn't have been any other way. And when we finally realize that things which happened to us happened for our good, well then I think we ought to be grateful. In each of those four pericopes, after we're told about God's work on their behalf, we hear the same refrain that we see in verse 8. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. God is at work in our lives, delivering us or working in us to make uh, boys into men and girls into women, and we ought to give him thanks for that. That might seem strange to people on the outside, but it's really not for us who've walked with God for a while. There's a period in my life, again, another of my stories, <laughs> but it was the worst time in my entire life um, when I didn't know whether I belonged to Jesus Christ or not. I had gone to a church where I had learned about a different Jesus and where a different spirit was. I thought that I had committed the unpardonable sin and that there was no hope for me as a person. I was on the verge of taking my own life. It was an awful time. But God sent me through that to do something in my life because I was a condemning, judgmental person. And after feeling what it was like to be on that side where I felt God had condemned me, Something happened in my heart and my soul. He he took that spirit of judgment and condemnation out of me. Sometimes I still struggle with it, but not like I did then. And when I saw what he did, I, I thought I wouldn't wish what I went through on my worst enemy but I would not change what God did in me through that for anything in the world. And then I realized that as awful as that time was, that I could wish that on the person I loved best if it had the same good result in them as it did in me. That's what God does 
for us. We don't always understand it. We don't always see the reason for it. But he is absolutely faithful. Everything he does in your life has a purpose. And he's at work there. And so, for thoughtful Christians in a world hardened by sin, we give thanks because we know God is good. Absolutely good. And we know that he loves us. And that love endures and it will never fail. And we know that God acts for those who turn to him. Nothing will separate you from his goodness or his love or take you out of his plan. If that doesn't make you feel good, if that doesn't make you want to give thanks, well, we have a defibrillator out there. I can get it and use it because you've got to be just about dead. Thanks, everybody, for spending time with us here this morning. I'm going to invite you again. If you can, make it Wednesday night. We'd love to have you. I'm going to say happy Thanksgiving to you because everybody in this room has things to be grateful for. So go in the peace. Go with God. Make a difference in your and worship one more time. This is a new song that we're doing. Pastor Jim brought to Frank's attention, but it's a neat song about how we can serve each other.